0: Welcome to the Third Turn podcast, an ongoing resource for Maestro level leaders. Kristen Evenson, a coach trained in the neuroscience of change, and Mark L. Vincent, executive advisor, are talking today with Arnie Hendricks, the principal of financial management resources. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kristen Evenson, and today my co host and partner, Mark L. Vincent, talks with Arnie Hendricks about Maestro level leaders and the CFOs with whom they work. At its highest and best, the maestro-level leader CFO role is strategic, tied to enterprise value, and sets the stage for anticipating what the future looks like and what future value is possible. And there is no one better for this conversation than Arnie Hendricks, the principal of financial management resources. Arnie's worked with over 400 companies, helping them get their financial house in order and their CFO role dialed in. I'll turn it over to Mark and Arnie.
1: So today we're talking with Arnie Hendricks, someone I have appreciated getting to know, and I like the way he thinks, and I like the way he works when it comes to organizations and leaders, really tuning into them, getting inside who they are and building out for where they are instead of just coming and saying, here's what you need to do, do what I tell you, as so many of us who have been in subject matter expertise in our lives are tempted to do. So before I invite him in as someone who does a lot of this work with a CFO role, I want to point out that I think it's necessary. I've been working a lot in the last couple of years where there are people who have a CFO title, but they are not CFO and how they work. They're not strategic. They're not thinking about enterprise value. They're not thinking at the enterprise level. And so to find strategic CFOs is a hard thing to do. It's not just, hey, these reports that we do for our accounting functions are ever more sophisticated. It's about modeling. It's about anticipating what's possible. So that's one of the things I'm hoping we can talk about a little bit today. Arnie, let's invite you in now, and I'd just like to ask your perspective right away. Am I all wet when I point out that problem, uh, or what would you add to make me sound more positive?
2: No, I, I think it it is a positive from a standpoint of – you know, running running a company takes a team and you need all of the different disciplines. Uh, And certainly a a good CEO uh, looks to stack the deck with great salespeople, great sales management, great production management. And uh, I like to think that the CFO role is one that needs to be around the table in order to give that perspective, right? There are so many things that are being done that either cost or there's... uh, issues that need to be considered as far as margins or as far as capital costs, all of those kinds of things. So uh, I've always always enjoyed it because of the fact that you're in the middle of everything and you get to see and learn about the whole business. And so with somebody coming with that kind of perspective, the CEO needs to want that person at the table if you're going to have a strategic discussion because uh, he or she really appreciates that perspective being added to the conversation.
1: So Arnie, can we back up a bit here and just ask you, what was it that happened in your career? How did it develop that eventually brought you to the point of bringing financial management resources and the services that you provide to
2: companies? Yeah, I appreciate that. It's a long story. I'll give you the short, short version. Ended up coming out of college with an accounting degree and going to work for a $250 million division of a $2 billion company down in Portland. And uh, I was successful, you know, got out of the accounting area, got into an accounting supervisor, lots of numbers. And so it was interesting. But uh, when I left there and came back to Seattle and got a controller position for a $5 million manufacturing company, the light really turned on because I saw myself in a position where I had the president, I had the, the VP sales, and I had a VP manufacturing all sitting in a circle around the uh, the area in the office, and we were making stuff downstairs. And it was all about making that, understanding the cost, and then going to sell it. So, you know, very early on, I really appreciated uh, the impact the finance role can have and was so glad I left, you know, a very large company where it's about numbers and about reporting, but it wasn't about business. So I was there a couple of years, then uh, I got transferred out to Connecticut, which was across the country as the controller for an acquisition they did. So I was able to bring financial management reporting into a privately owned $12 million business. Uh, Did that for a couple of years and uh, helped to see how that went. Then I went down to Virginia as a control, plant control of a $30 million manufacturing company. Turnaround situation, got into every piece of what it takes to help improve profitability. The president bought the company through a leveraged buyout. Fired my boss, made me CFO. Now I had two jobs: a CFO and plant controller. But we ran hard for three years. Uh, got Home Depot when they were just getting started. Never made any, a dime on them, I don't think. You know, from that standpoint. But uh, lost our credit line. Had to go around the country to to reestablish that. So really, kind of ramped up pretty quickly. That first part of my career where I was just learning like crazy, always at a level a little bit more that I was should have been at. Right but I made mean, it work and was very successful at it. And then we decided to come back to Seattle. I was a CFO of a $20 million company that grew fast to $50 million. And that was really where it turned on from a standpoint. Of we sold million dollar industrial food freezing equipment. So one of my jobs as CFO was to go out with a technical salesperson and explain to a business owner why they ought to buy our equipment and why it made good financial sense. And that really gave me the idea of and seeing that a lot of these small, medium-sized businesses didn't really understand their finances, didn't understand cash flow, didn't understand ROI. And I was able to put that together for them, which was helpful to them, but also got us the deal. And then we had a uh, leasing company, so we brought in the credit, and it was all good. So it was actually 31 years ago this month, Mark, that I started financial management resources looking to do part-time services for small, medium-sized businesses. For the first couple of years, it took a while to figure out how I could get in and add value. And then after that, it's just been one thing after another, uh, all referral-based from advisors, uh, from previous customers. And uh, it was, again, like the last part of, call it that first turn, uh, where I was managing people and learning, but was able to then really uh, effectively come around the table with uh, CEOs. All that turned into, that was maybe the first 20 years, and then the last five to eight years, I had a lot of companies that were selling and merging and buying, and I saw the need for excellence in succession planning. So I uh, focused on that, which has been incredibly interesting, and uh, to help. Come alongside business owners and turn their life work into something that typically is 75% of their net worth. And so it's really critical they do it right. And they only do it one time. You know, so it's been good. Isn't that
1: interesting? It's a one time deal. And to think that we know how to do it when we've never done it uh, is kind of a silly proposition to walk with others or to draw off the expertise. Of others who have lived through it and know that even then it's still a unique thing. It's not. It's not going to be exactly like another. Uh, right. it's, it's just good knowledge to to have. I, I'd like to ask you a question here, just about what you were describing. So, if you are, especially at this point in your career, walking beside a business owner at the point they're valuing the business or trying to get some kind of valuation for a prospective buyer or investor or because they're going to hand it off to their employees or to a child, uh, or maybe they're prepping their business for sale just straight out, and you're in there providing some degree of fractional CFO service. Yeah, How is that added on, different from, same as that, uh, investment banker or that business broker or some kind of valuative service? What What yeah. is it that you're doing that's helpful or different here?
2: Well, the, uh, the investment bankers and um, brokers are critical because they're actually taking companies to market, right? They typically will be involved for six to 12 months after the owner, after they found out about it and they go about it. Uh, my role is to come alongside the owner to help them get ready for that. So to do a preliminary evaluation to give them a sense that um, if you get this amount of money in your personal financial plan, does that work, right? So before you even go down that road, so you do a check there and then also for them to understand what's driving the value up or down even before we they go to market and then walk them through all the due diligence and you know really it's a matter of being their business partner going through the transaction uh, versus the uh, the brokers and the M&A investment bankers are critical in finding the buyers helping to get the LOI letter of intent signed and then getting you know getting it through all the way through the, the closing but they're really not involved in helping the the business owner necessarily understand the ins and outs of the process. you know some of them are better than others, and you know, and some of them do a great job in that. but usually, by the time I'm through working with them, they pretty well understand it. and then the they've got a partner through that process as if I was their your their CFO effectively. The other thing, mark, I think that's that is unique in that is that you could say two thirds of the businesses out there are not going to go through to a third party. They're going to go to family or they're going to go to uh, children. A lot of times the owner would prefer that if they can get the value they need and they can get comfortable that they're going to get paid. So that's where I sort through that process as well. Is that possible? Have they done the right job of getting their kids or the, uh, the management team ready to lead and to run the company? Because typically they don't have any money. And so they don't have any money, that means that they're going to have to borrow it from the bank or they're going to have to borrow it from the seller. And the only way it's going to get paid is if the business stays successful, is generating enough cash to pay off the loan, which is what I get in the middle of modeling that out and showing how it can work. If everyone has confidence that the market and the business can continue to be successful and tying the tying the value into the cash flow. So all of that comes into before we even go to a broker or a, uh, an M&A firm.
1: It seems then what we're talking about are complementary roles. Absolutely. Uh, ones that can yep. feed into each other and yep. really making sure that they're prepped, that they have their information in a good place, that they can yep. actually be in command of their facts in a sense. So what does your typical engagement look like? That That owner calls you and says, I need some help. What, what, is, what are the normal sets of actions in which you engage?
2: Well, you know, again, it's uh, always a matter of building trust. What I have done is uh, I don't go on a retainer type of a basis. Simply, I've done it a couple of times that didn't work. And because I was disappointed or the owner was disappointed. So I leave it more like a CPA or legal where it's on an hourly basis. And so I usually we'll start with a five or 10 or 15 hour engagement. So we have a specific chart of work that gets to a certain point uh, and has some deliverables. Uh, And that can be true, whether it's the CFO side, you know, if if they're not looking to selling, they just need help getting their hands around their finances and direction and such. And so we'll identify, usually I'll spend, uh, you know, one or two meetings, sometimes three meetings just on a complimentary basis, just to understand and get to build a relationship and then scope a project. And then after that, frankly, it's pretty well, you know, together figuring out what needs to be done and then going forward. And, and then it can be anywhere from six to 12 months on the CFO side, or, you know, I've got some clients I've had 19, 20 years and have always just been on standby and helping them through it. If someone's looking to sell, typically we go through that process and I'll do some uh, due diligence around their objectives. I've got, you know, transition readiness assessment. I've got an owner interview worksheet just to try to help them think through. They want to sell, they're mentally ready to sell, but are they financially ready? Forcing them to um, do some personal financial planning. And that first two or three months, there's a lot of discovery. I'll do an informal valuation based on the uh, cash flows and EBITDA. And then then they'll make a decision and we'll go from there. And then once we go to, uh, if it's internal, it can within three months, we can have the deal done. So maybe my total engagement is like six months. If it goes external, well, then it's typically another six to nine months, then it might be a year. So you're not this
1: um, consultative type who's getting buried inside the system and upselling services over and over and over and trying to get into a long retainer, kind of extending Uh, that window out for the sale. And you're letting the uh, um, business owner really be in charge of their spend as they work with you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and my goal is to um, help them build a, you know, on the CFO side, help them build a good, strong financial team. So I've hired dozens and dozens of controllers, uh, dozens of CFOs, uh my wife keeps asking me, why do you keep working yourself out of a job? Right. <laughs> you know, and so I said, Well, that's the best for the client, right? You right, know, there's right. they want they want somebody and, and I think market comes partly is I believe strongly enough that a company needs a CFO and or a very strong controller that frankly is thinking about them 24-7. And they can't afford to pay me 24-7, right? Mm-hmm. So to the extent I can help them find the right person and get that person on the team, you know, in a way, the, my success for me is to work myself out of a job knowing, number one, there's always a referral there. But also, their business is going to change, their people change, and I'll be available to come back as necessary uh, and build the kind of trust and relationship that allows that to happen. So
1: I want to dig into that in just a little bit, right as we come back from our break. So today we're talking with Arnie Hendricks, Principal with Financial Management Resources, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're continuing our conversation with Arnie Hendricks on the maestro level leader and their CFO. And actually, Arnie, this is where I want to dig in. And I know, I confess, I started out this whole conversation with a pet peeve. And that is that oftentimes the title is not an indication of the high level of skill of the person and that is not to be an insult to people who have the cfo title the peter principle is really well known and it's widely experienced where somebody's promoted because of their accomplishment but what the new role requires is not something they have experience with they're not being developed for it or actually it outstrips where their strengths are. And we end up with people who uh, can't quite bring what's needed, which is, I think, a lot of what your work becomes. You're in there, you're sifting, and you're sorting, and you're trying to get right people in the right seats in the financial side of the organization. But can we start with something really, really simple? In your world, what is the difference
2: between a bookkeeper, a controller, and a CFO, bookkeeper. It typically is a smaller company, but you know, whether it be a bookkeeper or whether it be the accounting staff in a larger company, they really are transactional based. You know, they got to get the invoices out, they got to get accounts payable taken care of, they got to collect money, and so their job is to make sure that the transactions are done, accounts are reconciled not really even understanding why they just are going through the process. So that's the, that, that first level of accounting folks. Then you end up with is a controller and depending on the size of the company, I always break the controller role into like, you know, low medium and high capacity and capability. But if the accounting folks are transactional based, the controllers typically are financial statement based from a standpoint of making sure that the, Financial statements are accurate and timely. So it's probably thirty, almost forty years ago now. I got a great lesson when I was working with an international paper company, and way in the beginnings of the computer age, we had to have our finals, final financials back in New York by noon on the third workday. And if you ever figure out how to do a closing fast, that was it. So, so from a fin- from a controller, their job is to help. Believe and understand that those uh, financial statements or the scorecards of the company, they need to be accurate and timely. And that's their job is to make sure that that happens. Then you get into the CFO side, it's more, again, three different levels perhaps, but the CFO then takes those financials and applies them to the business, right? And so making sure that not only the CEO understands what the scorecard says, but every manager in the departments do as well. So he's a peer to the production. And I love manufacturing because finance can have such a major role in helping manufacturing companies be successful, understanding their variances, understanding their reporting. Same with sales and marketing as far as margins and product mix. And so what the CFO does is partners up with a CEO and each of the divisional managers to make sure that those financial reporting are helping them be more successful as well.
1: You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about a similar kind of declension among the service firms that are out there that that say, we'll help you with with your accounting, Mm -hmm. and that some of them will make sure the, the, the transactional records are perfect and others have a higher order of sophistication to help make sure that financial statements are done and all the taxes are filed appropriately and all the statements are ready- And then there are those who at the highest level are creating models, not just making sure things are understood for management, but are actually helping management manage and to manage with the future in mind. And they join in the leadership function and the strategic function of the organization. And so here's where I want to ask you next. If you have a Maestro-level leader, someone who's looking into the future, they're trying to get everything in ship shape, and maybe there's a whole new strategic initiative they have to land for the organization to have a sustaining value. But as they're working at it, they're realizing, gosh, as this gets done, I'm not going to be the main person in the seat. This is it's going to be the right time to have Mm -hmm. other leaders to break my role apart, especially if they were the founder, visionary entrepreneur, usually it's three or four people that have to replace them uh, in order to be able to keep continuity going. But they're looking at that and they actually have a very strategically minded CFO. So if I were to paint that more succinctly, somebody who's winding it down and they've got a strong CFO beside them, what does that relationship look like?
2: Well, there's a high level of trust. I think that there's also a sharing of values, you know, from a standpoint of making sure that the the CFO is on the same page as far as the values uh, that the CEO is trying to bring to the organization or the owner, right? There is um, a shared vision of, of of what the organization needs to look like and how the teams need to be supported. You know the CFO it's kind of interesting, can play a key role into helping build the culture of the company as far as supporting, for example, training or supporting the the softer side. I always say that you know you know the number of h r people that I have you know placed, I think it's probably pretty high because you know it is just one of those things that it's good business to have good h r. And from a CFO standpoint, they need to understand, yeah, that department is uh, expensive. But on the other hand, you know, we say that people are our most important assets. So what are we investing in them, right? So those are the kind of perspectives that hopefully pair up with what the CEO is looking to do. And uh, they're very much in sync. And, you know, at the end of the day, the CEO should be the most important confidant that a CEO has. You know, there's that much trust. There's that much understanding on the CFO of, a, of the understanding of the business, and so when he wants to talk about performance issues uh, for some of the other team members or issues with the board, the CEO should be should be confident that the CFO can add value to the conversation, give guidance that's uh, in sync kind of with uh, where he where he wants to go, and encourage. You know, some CEOs, you know, everyone has different strengths. But I think that's where the uh, the CFO can help assist in the strategic outlook of the company by helping to uh, say, let's model out the next five years, right? Mm -hmm. What do you want to do, revenue and production and capacity and all that, then be able to put that into a financial model so that it makes sense and they can understand what capital requirements there are, what value it brings to the value of the business, and also uh, what kind of profitability it brings to the uh, shareholders hmm
1: well then let's let's just flip that around so you've got a a maestro level leader third turn leader they're looking at that future kind of stepping down and bringing somebody else in to run the place and and they have a cfo who who has some gaps yep. what are the gaps that you are pretty frequently running across especially ones that can be addressed
2: Let me give you an example. I think probably is the best way to show it. Right now, uh, I'm on advisory board of a $400 million company. And uh, three years ago, we brought in a a new CFO, uh, very qualified, great background, understood finances, understood IT, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that was a perfect match for the organization. It's privately owned, uh, $400 million company, third generation. Well wow. and the CEO is very strong, very trusted, and really frankly, you know, running it for what I call the kids and the third generation who aren't too involved. But very qualified. Right now we're in the process of perhaps looking to make a change at the CFO role because of the fact that the CEO is frustrated over um, his and I don't want to say arrogance, because he's not really an arrogant guy, but you know, continually talking in manners that would show how, how intelligent he is right and uh, so I think that the CFO if they if they don't have the confidence to go forward, they really miss the market it's not about them it's about the company and it's about helping the CEO be successful. Um, and what I keep bringing it back you know uh, back to is that Mark is the level of inte- the, the old concept of emotional intelligence. Is so critical to the CEO role, right. but is also, well, it's also critical in every piece. But the, the CFO has to have a high level of emotional intelligence in order to relate to the CEO and to the rest of the organization. And uh, so, you know, likely we're going to make a change here and we're going to do something that we didn't do before. And that's make sure that we test for that. In fact, one of the one of the things we tried to do is we hooked him up with. personal advisor that focuses on emotional intelligence. And um, he hasn't been able to break it through. It's just not there. Technically, he's great. All the debits and credits, everything else. But he really is a third level controller. He isn't a CFO. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, uh, from that standpoint, so. Mm -hmm. So, can I
1: flip that maybe yet again yep. and just say, "Where's what would a success story sound like?" Then
2: someone were that CFO really served the CEO well. Well, uh, you know, oddly enough, that that CFO is about forty-five to forty-eight, ten of experience, and um, not doing well. Uh, flip side is a forty million dollar company that hired a thirty-year-old. Uh, uh, manager from Deloitte, uh, to, to Deloitte. Uh, and that young guy is just doing a phenomenal job. Uh, very qualified, smart as a whip, as you can imagine, to get to be a manager at Deloitte, uh, but just very confident, uh, great social skills and really engaged with all of the managers. It has complete confidence and trust, uh, from the CA, uh, CFO or CEO. And, um, so that's really, you know, it is a matter of taking that te- technical expertise, which a lot of controllers have, and being able to then have that serve the company in a business building and a strategic manner, like you said, you know, not everybody can do that, you know, they, mm-hmm. stay, they stay with the technical and, and, and this young guy is, you know, this guy's limit, you know, as far as what he wants to do, because, you know, he's, he's got it, and, um, it, it, just exudes confidence amongst his the CEO and the rest of the management team. I'm going to try something out on you here
1: as a way to ask a last question. So if I am the owner of the company and I've built this company up and I can see that my own time at the helm is going to end and I'm trying to make way for what's next and the future value and a continuing sustaining enterprise after I'm done with it. If I have the kind of CFO that you're describing, who's working at the strategic level, I am likely not going to have to come to them and say, you know, can we build a model here for the payouts and for our future? My guess is that that CFO is coming to me and initiating it. Hey, Mr. Vincent, I love working for you. This is a great place we're going to have to figure this out i want to get engaged in that project or maybe even i've already been working on this and
2: i want you to have this information does that sound about right yeah i think though that it would be more of an ongoing conversation a relationship mm-hmm. sure. because of the fact they're continuing to think 5 years out right, right. it would
1: change and, every quarter wouldn't it
2: yeah. and and every five, you know by thinking and talking 5 years out they're not only talking about you know, uh, sales and markets and products and production capacity. They're talking about people, and so they end up with is going through that org chart, and so they're talking about the bench strength and they're talking about different roles. So, you know, I think that that should be part of that ongoing conversation. If if both the CEO and the CFO are doing it right, and so to the extent that uh, it takes takes both of them, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, certainly, and I and I guess that's. You know, uh, where I call it force the issue sometimes with with owners who are so in the moment that they're not thinking full. You know, further out to staff right. up properly so that they have the mind share. Because it's not that they don't want to. It's not that they don't care. It's a lot of times they just don't have the time, and so they're not investing in a management team that frees up their time to uh, think more futuristic. Thank you, thank you. That's helpful, Arnie. This
1: has been a pleasure. And before we say goodbye, we always like to ask our guests these what we call turning point questions. Mm-hmm. Way to know you a little bit more. Is there any other interest or role that you might have pursued if circumstances were different, something other than accounting that held your interest?
2: <laughs> uh, might have become a full time mountain climber. I'm not sure. I think the uh, not so much that the accounting finance area because I think that suited me well probably what I would have done 30 years ago if I had to do it all over again is I'd build up a financial services company uh so that you could say I could duplicate myself more for more companies and be in a position now to, to have an organization like that so you know um you know as, as we as we grow older we get more experience and say well what would we have done differently and there's there's a lot of things that i I've done differently but that probably would have been one
1: So you have Um, been living in your sweet spot.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's worked out great. I've been on my own, haven't had staff. I've got four kids now, 11 grandkids. I can do what I want to when I want to uh, and get to meet a lot of great people and and see a lot of of great industries. Uh, But I probably would have done a little bit differently, I think, and tried to do that well. Yeah.
1: Second question would be, if you could identify a leadership lesson you wish that you had learned earlier in your career.
2: I think this whole concept of emotional intelligence um, Hmm. is, uh, you know, emotional intelligence 2.0, after reading through that seven, eight years ago, it is so obvious once you understand it, what differentiates people. You know, frankly, if I'd have understood that over 30 years ago when I was CFO at this $50 million company, and then fought my way to become vice president of sales and marketing and then got fired uh because I wasn't a sales manager. And I ended up with as I should have been smarter about that, as well as uh there's a variety of folks that along the way I could have helped a lot better. So I think that's helped me from a standpoint of the way that I consult and work with people. And um, it's one of those concepts that I just try to assure that everybody I talk to and work with you know, gets introduced to it and uh, is able to benefit from it. What's a current book that you're reading and why did you choose it? The one that comes to mind is one I didn't choose to read, but I felt (laughs) obligated to read because of the fact that I was helping a a business put their business plan together. The uh, general manager, because this was a division of a uh, a larger company, the division manager said that his, he just had his team, Walk through the book called The Infant Game by Simon Sinek, S I N E K. So, when he told me that, you know, uh, in order to understand where their heads were, I decided I should read that. So, I did. And it's phenomenal. It really is something that every CEO ought to read because what it does is it helps uh, focus the strategic vision of a company and major decisions to stay true to their values versus the dollar, you could say, or due, or due to the price, of the, the stock price. So I, I've been recommending that book to CEOs and owners that I, uh, that I work with because it just gives another perspective. It's so easy to talk a good game when it comes to values and then not necessarily have the business uh, actually live up to those. Uh, sometimes, obviously, sometimes discreetly, uh, but that's where you come back to the CEO owner is the one that has to be the keeper of uh, that direction. So, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, I'd highly recommend. Thank you. We'll put a link to that volume in our
1: episode notes. Arnie, thank you for taking some time and My pleasure. for sharing a bit of what you know. And I think any senior seasoned executive, especially one who's built a business and is trying to get their mind around what it is that they need beside them. If they've listened to this episode, they're going to have a better picture. Uh, It's a great service to us. And and thank you.
2: Good. Well, I'd be happy to have a talk with anybody anytime about that and um, would look forward to that and certainly appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you today. Great to spend some time with you.
0: And thank you, our listeners, for joining us for today's conversation about the Maestro-Level Leader and their CFO. Future value is certainly not only about the financial condition of an enterprise, but financials are definitely a factor and foundation in making other forms, more enduring forms, of value possible. Maestro-Level Leader cohorts continue to form, and we are excited to pull together our next one in partnership with the Christian Leadership Alliance. If you're a nonprofit leader and are interested in benefiting from a Maestro Level Leader cohort, now would be a great time to reach out to us at maestrolevelleaders.com. The Third Turn podcast is a production of Design Group International. Jennifer Miller is our producer, and our sound engineer is Josh Brinkman. We always w- invite and welcome your subscription and sharing this podcast with others. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode and this ongoing resource maestro-level leaders.
1: This is for grandchildren's grandchildren.